Holy Spirit, we just ask you to continue to move. It's what you do in our hearts that counts. It's the lasting things that stick in us. It's the things we learn and they become principles in us that serve for the future. They truly become a foundation. It's not even about just the moment. I don't want the service to be about the moment. I want it to be about, Dad, what you want to infiltrate into our understanding so that we will live and build by your principles because your principles are eternal so Holy Spirit have your way speak to us do what God would want to do in this house today in Jesus name Amen in Isaiah chapter 64 verse 1 the prophet cries out and he says oh that you would rend the heavens and come down. You know what that is? That's a cry for revival. I think we could all agree we've never seen our nation in so much turmoil or conflict or on opposite ends. This isn't about politics. This is about what the church needs to do so that we can have a breakthrough of the Spirit of God on our nation. Can I get an amen? amen. Yeah, absolutely. And Isaiah is crying out and he says, Oh God, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Now I know we're seated in heavenly places. Absolutely. I know who we are in Christ. I preach it, and I believe it emphatically. But I think every one of us would have to agree that uh, the atmosphere and the heavens over our nation and over the world need to be broken. And there is a significantly huge, humongous difference when the Spirit of God is moving and when he's not. Amen? Amen? And so the prophet cries out and he says, Oh, that you'd rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. That word rend, I looked it up in the Webster Miriam Dictionary, not because I don't know what it means, but to see officially what, what definition do they give to this word? And it's very interesting what came up, and it's very interesting how it connects. Um, but according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, to rend is to remove from its place by violence. That's the first definition. The second definition, to split or to tear apart or in pieces by violence. Matthew 11, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violent assault. 
and violent men seize it by force as a precious prize. When a genuine move of God becomes more precious to us than our paycheck, when a genuine move of God becomes more precious to us than our pride, when a genuine move of God becomes more precious to us than our timetable, when a precious move of God becomes, when a move of God becomes more precious to us than extracurricular activity, when the things of God become the priority, divine order is being reinstated. When divine order is reinstated, demonic strongholds cannot remain. They cannot stay in place. Demonic strongholds start to crumble. They start to shake. He says, shake the mountains. Yeah, shake the strongholds of darkness. Speak to this mountain and tell it to be removed. There are strongholds that govern our nation. There are strongholds that govern our city, and there are strongholds that at times govern us because we open windows, we open doors, and allow strongholds to be established. And Isaiah says, God, violently rip open the heavens. When we talk about the heavens, we're talking about these first heavens, not the second and third heavens that God occupies, because Jesus taught us to pray, let your will be done here as it is in your heavens. But the first heavens, the atmosphere, the stratosphere immediately around the planet Earth is filled with demonic activity, and the Earth comes under the influence of demons and demon thought. Everyone here, everyone here, everyone here, starting from your pastor, you know that when temptation starts coming over you and you start giving into it, it's like all of your conscious rationale and all your logical reasons of why you shouldn't do that seem to disappear and you become taken with an influence to go and do the thing that you know 10 minutes after you do it, you're going to regret it. It's called influence. It's called atmosphere. It's called demonic activity. And Satan and his host are the lords over the atmosphere or the first heavens that surround this planet. And the prophet cries out and says, rend the heavens. He doesn't mean God's heavens, rend these heavens. Change the atmosphere. What were you singing? Break? Break what? The atmosphere. It was atmosphere, was that the word? He had no idea what I was struggling with with God to preach. Repentance is not the kind, you know, if I said, hey, for the next six weeks, I'm going to preach on repentance, I don't think in the natural people would be busting down the door to hear. It's, it, it hasn't, it's not a popular word. But when we understand that repentance is a lifestyle of sensitivity 
to what might offend God, then repentance is a beautiful word. Amen. Amen. How, how many of you, whether it's a, a good buddy, you know, you, you're, uh, or someone that you're close in relationship with, for example, here, Paul and I were good buddies, all right? Um, I'd like to think I'm good buddies with Lynn. Nothing sexual about what I'm talking about. But when you're good buddies with somebody, how many of you have ever experienced, and this is equally as true in marriage, that you're just being yourself and you didn't realize that things you say or do have been offending or hurting your buddy? How many of you have ever, come on. Everybody should be incriminating themselves right now. Don't take the fifth at this moment. Just put your hands up. Everywhere, put your hands up. Yep. Okay. Why? Because we come from a paradigm, a mental place, where this is our world, and we haven't lived in their world. And at times, we're innocently doing things that are just normal to us, but it's tweaking something, it's, it's pressing a button, it's irritating, it's causing offense. And we have no idea of it whatsoever. And whether it be in marriage or just a business relationship or just good buddies, if we're going to walk in the spirit of love, we have to become sensitive to what is offensive genuinely offensive to another person. And so until that person says, look, you know, I've never told you this, it's been 10 years, but I really get hurt and end up feeling really angry or depressed or demoralized when you do this, this, and this, especially in a marriage. If we, if the marriage isn't going sour, that should rip our heart apart. I really got a few amens then. Okay, marriage counseling starts tomorrow night. <laughs> it, it should rip our hearts apart. How many of you consciously want to devastate your best friend? Put your hand up. We'll shoot you now. I'm kidding. <laughs> All right. How, how, does anybody deliberately want to devastate their best friend? Does anyone want to unknowingly devastate your best friend? You want to. No. And so when we learn what it hurts or offends the other person, we want to back up and go the other way. Amen. Repentance isn't a dirty word in the kingdom of God. It is. It is a dirty word in the kingdom of darkness, and I'll show you scripturally why. I want to bring you to a place of understanding, and I trust that as I show you this principle, it'll never, ever, ever, ever leave you, and therefore, it will always influence your thinking. That's what I, I believe God wants to do today, okay? And so repentance is a lifestyle of becoming more and more sensitive to what might be offensive to God, not because he's got idiosyncrasies, not because he's a flawed vessel, but because his paradigm is right. 
and our perspectives and our world is skewed. Can I get an agreement? Absolutely. And so I want to always line up with the one who's absolutely right. My world, my worldview, my paradigms, my perspectives may not be correct, but his always are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Isaiah is saying, God, rip open the heavens. So here we are, Matthew was a guy who ripped open the heavens. Isaiah, the same guy who prays this and prophesies this, prophesies that God will take a person and he will be a messenger and he will prepare the way of the Lord. It's interesting that when John was in jail, he got in trouble for telling Herod that he was in error and he was living a wrong way, and he was about to be beheaded. That was his girlfriend's daughter's request. That guy got me so angry, I want the head of John the Baptist, okay? Uh, Herod's brother's ex-wife, whom he was sleeping around with, Herod put on a dinner, and his his girlfriend's daughter came and did a dance. And she danced so well, Herod said, ask me for anything up to half my kingdom. I'll give it to you. And all this young lady wanted was the head of John the Baptist. He was in the desert preaching repentance. But the spirit of darkness was so stirred up, the forces of the atmosphere over this earth were so vile and angry at a simple word, repentance. The girl says, the only thing I want, I could have up to half your kingdom, the only thing I want is the head of John the Baptist. So he sends his disciples, John sends his disciples to Jesus, realizing everything's on the line now. (laughs) His neck is on the line, pun intended. He sends his disciples to Jesus, and he says, "Uh, can we have time out for a second here? I want to ask you an honest question. Are you the guy? I mean, I know I said you were, but are you the guy? I know I saw the dove come down and we heard the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. And my mother tells me that I leapt in her womb when your mother walked into the room and she was pregnant with you. But I just got to ask one more time. I'm about to lose my head over this. Are you the guy? And Jesus says, go back to John the Baptist. And while it's not written there the way I'm going to say it, When you search the scriptures, it's written there, the way I'm going to say it. He says to John's disciples, he says, go back and tell him, I am the fulfillment of the prophecies of the prophet Isaiah. Because Isaiah said that when your God comes, he will come to save you. And when he comes to save you, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, and the lame will walk. And tell John that's happening. 
So it was a consolation to John the Baptist. Then Jesus turns to the crowd and he says, when you went out to the wilderness, what did you go looking for? Somebody in a nice tweed suit? People wearing soft, cushy fabrics belong in a king's palace. Did you go to see a reed, someone who will sway with public opinion because he just wants to appease people? Or did you go to see a prophet? Because he is a prophet. Though he never foretold one thing, he spoke the word of the Lord. You see, a prophet doesn't just prophesy futuristic things. A prophet brings the word of the Lord. Today, we were hearing the word of the Lord. I mean, I was breaking down and weeping here, knowing how I struggle in my head, preaching things that at times people could quickly label me and say, well, you know, he's bringing us under condemnation. He doesn't know who we are in Christ, and he should be preaching this, and he should... It's the perspective of possible opinions that sometimes speak to the preacher. And the word of the Lord was confirmed to me through people I know I've not conversed with. In fact, I, Paul, I asked you yesterday to pray for me because I didn't have a word. Late last night, I asked you to pray for me because I still didn't have a word. Pastor Tom, I asked him to pray for me. Uh, I think it was about uh, 7 30, 8 o'clock, still didn't have a word. And it was in the late hours of the night and early hours of this morning that God gave me this word. I never talked with this team. So the word of the Lord is speaking. Why? Because we're living horribly? Not necessarily, but if we want to walk down the path of a visitation and a move of the Holy Spirit, then we must become more and more sensitive to what grieves the Spirit of God. Amen. Absolutely. And I'm going to give you the theology of it in five minutes. Psalm 89, verse 14. In Bible school, I go a lot deeper. I have a lot more time. I encourage you, if you've never done Bible, well, I encourage you, do, do our Bible school, period. <laughs> Psalm 89, verse 14 says this, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Let's make this platform a foundation And this is God's throne. Politicians are telling people what their platform is. What is the platform you're running on? And then we expect people, we as people expect politicians <laughs> to do what they said they would do on the platform they ran on. Correct? So the Word of God says, God is giving you insight to the spirit world. I told God years ago, when I was a young man, I knew God was calling me one day to preach. And I spent days and days 
over a period of time, fasting and praying, saying, God, I don't want to preach sermons. I want to preach principles. Open the word to me so I see things that are not commonly seen. I want to preach principles that will change people's lives. This is a principle. God wants you to see how this, the unseen world, rotates, how it operates, how it functions. So God says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of my throne. God's saying righteousness is based in the law of love. Do, don't do things that will hurt God. Don't do things that will hurt your neighbor. And don't do things that will hurt you. And so one wise Alec, uh, smart Alec in the religious circle says to Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? And so then Jesus tells a story. I love the fact that Jesus didn't have a problem with sometimes taking the truth and poking them in the eye. He did that because the prophet said, you have eyes and you don't see. So he made sure he got it close enough so that they could see it. He said, I'll tell you who your neighbor is. And then he gives the parable of the good Samaritan. Well, the Jewish people hated the Samaritans. They came from the ten tribes of Israel that had broken away, gone into idolatry. Here we have the two tribes of Israel, Judah, and they remain, by and large, more faithful to the Word of God. And they were, they were dirt. They, they, they were like Gentiles. They, they worshipped God up in the mountain and said the holy place of God was up on the mountain. We worship here at the temple. And so Jesus uses the story, and he says, well, there was this guy, he was a traveler, some thieves came, beat him up, uh, wounded him, uh, the guy couldn't even get off the ground, and a rabbi comes by and steps aside and keeps walking because that was a Samaritan. Uh, sorry, because he didn't want to get his hands dirty. Uh, the guy was bloodied and messed up, and it was going to be inconvenient. And we got more important things to do. Besides, if I don't get to the temple and start the service, I've only got 60 minutes, and if I don't end on time, we'll have a revolt. So he was in a hurry. But a Samaritan comes by and starts to wash the man's wounds with the wine that he had and starts to uh, put anointing oil on the wounds and picks him up and takes him to a hotel and says, here, I'm going to give you X amount of dollars. This should be enough to pay for room and board for this guy while he recovers. And Jesus is saying, even your enemy is your neighbor. Okay? So the whole basis of God's righteousness is living a lifestyle that's not offensive to God, not hurting your neighbor and not hurting yourself. It's a moral standard. God builds his throne on this purity, on righteousness, and justice. Justice is how you relate to others. Do you prefer this person because they're the same color as you over this person who's a different color? Do you prefer this person because they're Italian like you as opposed to this person who's Puerto Rican? I got to tell you, I spend more time with Pastor Carlos than I do with my family. And I love that guy. He's different than me. 
He's quirky, and I'm better looking than him. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I don't even think like that. I love that guy. I don't care what nationality he is. I have seen some big bonehead Italians. I'm Italian, in case you didn't get it, okay? We need to get rid of these cultural and national titles. And remember, there is neither male nor female, Jew or Gentile in God's eyes. Hello? Come on, come on. So God builds his throne on righteousness. That is, living right by God and living right by others and never trying to hurt and uh, living right by yourself as well. And justice is treating everyone fairly. Not being prejudiced towards yourself and giving yourself more grace but not giving other people grace. Of course, though, I mean, I couldn't possibly be talking to anyone in this room, just myself. Justice. Let's go to the next verse. Uh, And this is Psalm 97, verse 2. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. So if you want God to sit down in the midst of you, Where's God going to put his sitting place? Well, there's righteousness and justice. I start with the fact that I am the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. God doesn't wait for me to be perfect. I am perfect in Christ by faith. My sins are forgiven. But as I said during the worship, he doesn't just give me the title or the position He also gives me the power that goes with the title and the position. Everything God does, the devil does the opposite. God is light, the devil is darkness. God is love, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God is truth, the devil is a liar. He is diametrically opposed and opposite to everything that the Spirit of God is. So if God builds his throne on righteousness and justice, take a guess. Where do you think demons are going to build their thrones? And so sometimes we open doors, we open windows of our life to areas of sin. Well, Julio here got me upset, and I told him what for, and uh, I don't care. Uh, if he leaves the church and I don't like him and uh, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> and I'm not going to apologize to him. Or we watch things we shouldn't watch. Or we say things we shouldn't say. Or we take things we shouldn't take. Oh, it's just time, yet yeah, your boss is paying for your time. Don't steal time. Oh, it's just my tithe. No, it was never your tithe. It's his tithe. We make priorities of things that become idols. 
And we will do more for that priority than we will for the things of God. And so wherever there's sin or injustice, it gives demons the right to build a platform. Well, you built the platform, we build the platform, and they put their seat there. So John the Baptist, why is repentance a dirty word? John the Baptist came preaching repentance. I want you to get this visual, okay? He came preaching repentance. Repentance means that the unrighteous things I've done, I'm now going to tell God I'm sorry, and I'm going to turn around and walk in the opposite direction of that mentality, okay? And the unjust things I've done, the prejudice, the, the uh, abusive behavior to other people, I'm going to repent of, and I'm going to turn the other way and walk in the direction that leads to God. You see, when you repent, it's like taking dynamite and sticking it under the foundation and you're blowing it up. Repentance is the dunamis of God in the hands of the Holy Spirit working in your heart to blow up the foundation of demonic strongholds. And every time we repent of our wrong attitudes or our unjust actions, we are kicking down the foundation that we built up that some demon has been sitting on. That's why it's so important when we have unforgiveness in our heart for years and years and years, God says you need to repent and forgive that person. Listen, when we get things right in our lives, the devil has no legal authority over us. And so here, God sends John the Baptist to prepare the way. What did he do? He preached repentance. He was ripping open by violence. No, that doesn't mean he stood on a soapbox and was angrily preaching at people. No. It's spiritual violence. This guy lived a life of prayer and fasting, and I don't doubt that he spoke the truth in love because he was moving by the Holy Ghost, and God always moves in a heart of love. Can I get an amen? But his preaching even challenged religious leaders because as you study the Gospels, even the, 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 the priests from the temple were coming to be baptized by John the Baptist. Now some of them were doing it because, well, it became fashionable and Jesus told them to their face, why'd you go and get baptized by John? You're nothing but a whitewashed tomb. They did it because the people had accepted John as a prophet and, oh, well, we're the spiritual leaders of Israel. What will they think of us if we don't go down and join in? Some of them did it out of pride, religious pride. Some of them did it out of genuine conviction. But the reason why John lost his head was because he was messing with the principalities of darkness in the atmosphere over that nation. 
what he was doing was standing up as a lone man full of the Holy Ghost, challenging the powers of darkness. This man, that's why Jesus pinpointed revival to John the Baptist. He said, since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven has been advancing forcefully and aggressive, forceful, hungry men and women are taking hold of it. Do we have that video of a building imploding? Can we show it? It's 37 seconds. Watch the explosions. That's the kind of stuff that makes guys go, cool, oh, yeah, oh, 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 oh. You know, the Tim Allen comes out of this. But anyway, uh, the point is, in the spirit world, that's what we accomplish. When we let our hearts get sensitive to God and we start to repent, strongholds come tumbling down. John the Baptist was a catalyst for revival not because he preached hate, no. He preached truth with love. And he called people to a place of repentance. If you and I are going to continue to move forward in what God is doing, there are greater things yet to come. Can I get an amen? amen. I close with, literally with this one verse. Acts 3, 19 to 20. Repent then. Turn back to God. Soften your heart. Get your attitudes right. Tell Him you're sorry. Stop justifying what you do. Stop justifying it. Because your justification doesn't stand up before the Lord. Amen. We need God's justification and the best way to get God's justification is when we take the humble road and we quickly get things right with him hello how many of you have ever done something that really hurt or offended either a parent a brother a sister a loved one a husband or a wife how many of you about 10 how many we all have of course we all have <laughs> and how many of you have ever taken the steps to genuinely from your heart say you're sorry? And how many of you have found that that Bible verse is true, that uh, a soft answer turns away wrath? How many of you found that as bad as you screwed up when you apologized? Yeah. I want you to remember this principle. 
Because if we're going to keep moving forward in the things of God, if we're going to keep moving forward in the things of God and have a move of His Holy Spirit, we have to be willing to become more and more sensitive. Things that we used to get away with, now God won't let us get away with. Things that we could sort of close our conscience off to, we really don't want to close our conscience off to. I don't want to offend the Spirit of God. I don't want to offend my father. And I think Daddy's talking to all of us. I really believe that God wants to move even more than what we've been experiencing. That has been great. But do you make him a priority? Because he has to be the priority. Whatever's priority in our life is the God of our affection. I'll just say it again. <laughs> Whatever is a priority in our life is the God that has our affection. There is no other God. Everything else is a fake substitute. So, of course, God is going to be a jealous God. When I'll let some measly little thing be more important and have more of my affection than I... Then I give him. We are sons of God if we're born again. If Christ is in our heart, we are the righteousness of God. I don't walk in condemnation. I walk in faith. And I walk in the assurance that he loves me. But because he loves me and he's done all that for me, I want to become even more sensitive and perfect at pleasing him. Can I get an agreement? Come on, let's stand. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray that by your Spirit, you'll make your Word become very alive in our hearts and that we'll live by these principles, that we'll understand that our petty attitudes and our unforgiveness and our bitterness and our squabbling, our fighting, and the areas that we stumble in and sin, they give platform to strongholds. God, we want to give all of our platform to you. I pray that, starting with me, that we will walk more and more circumspectly and walk in a way that's full of life, full of the shout of victory, full of joy, full of overcoming, and yet full of a soft and sensitive heart to you. Yes. 
always. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.